I love Baltimore. I mean, I love the food. I've been to the Blacks and Wax Museum for like, you know, that experience, which is pretty like, you know, head on. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, next time you come into the area, let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, with that being said, welcome one and all to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. This is season six, and I got to tell you all, I'm super excited, especially with all of our listeners. 35K. I mean, I tell you so much and so often that this platform was really built to be in an authentic space to have conversation with uh, Black marketers in the field of marketing, advertising, PR, as well as uh, the, uh, uh, the creativity uh, field. So thank you so much. On today's show, I have Will Jawando, and let me tell you something, when we dive into this, before we dive into this conversation, so often within marketing and advertising, we talk about community building, and so I thought that it would be great to bring Will on the show. So, Will, welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Hey, it's great to be here. I don't I don't have the caffeine, but I got the joy, so I'm, 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 I'm ready to be here. Thanks for having me. I love that so much. So, for our <laughs> listeners at home, tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So uh, I'm an attorney, a civil rights attorney. I'm a I'm a dad of four, uh, a husband to my amazing wife, Michelle Jawando. Uh, I'm a council member uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, an elected official serving over a million residents of the six million in our state. Uh, I'm an author. Uh, you see over my uh, shoulder here, my my book, My Seven Black Fathers, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which came out uh, last year, which just talks about my life through the lens of these seven male mentors who were fathers or surrogate fathers to me uh, and many others. Um, yeah, and, and I'm currently a candidate for the United States Senate uh, in Maryland, in the state of Maryland, where I used to work for Senator Barack Obama and Sherrod Brown. Uh, and I'm a former senior official in the Obama White House. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I'm a proud, proud, as you know, brother, a proud Nigerian American um, and, and have worked most of my life trying to bridge the divide that's been created through so many uh, efforts over hundreds of years to separate the Black diaspora. So uh, that's uh, that's me. Yeah, absolutely. And also shout out to the bros of AFIA. Uh, he's also a bruh. Um, exactly so, right. So, uh, we also have that in common um, all day. So thank you so much for being on. You know, a little bit about Will's background in middle school. Every day after school, he spent his afternoons in Silver Springs at his mother's work, where he met many of the mentors that he now calls his seven Black fathers. And I would love to dive more into your childhood and your background. Yeah, happy to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I can start there. Look, you know, I went to five schools before I was in eighth grade. Mm. And uh, you know, not a dissimilar experience, unfortunately, for a lot of young children, particularly young black children, particularly young black boys. Um, and it was really difficult for me. You know, I got by the time I got to fourth grade, I, I hadn't had a friend yet. You know, um, I had been told by teachers that uh, I needed to be in special education, that something was wrong with me, that I was disruptive. And really, I was just a precocious kid who was actually advanced, had skipped first grade. And who like to ask questions, but you know, I was treated differently, like so many kids are, because of their background or skin color, um, and and I was uh, really sad. And I also layered on top of that, uh, my parents had divorced. My dad from Nigeria, uh, my mom uh, from Kansas, white woman from Kansas. They met when he came over from school, fleeing the Biafran civil war, mm -hmm. and he never really caught his footing. Um, he never really got 
the American dream and bounced from job to job, dealt with, dealt with discrimination and depression. And so I was dealing with kind of a that detachment from him um, and with the what I was experiencing in school. So I was a very vulnerable kid in middle school, but thank God I, I bumped into uh, a, a really a great friend in Calfani who I met in fifth grade on the basketball court who became nice. a peer mentor. Nice. Yeah, so had a lot of great experiences um, in, in with black male mentors. Uh, and that's what I talk about in the book. But it was it was tough growing up. And, and I think that's not dissimilar to a lot of kids, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Um, but I love the I love the narrative that you are trying to contribute to, because I think whenever anytime we say we are rewriting something, I think that we have to acknowledge history. But I love this terminology that you coined. Uh, you say uh, father full instead of fatherless. Can you dive into what that means? Father full? Yeah, it's really a, an asset-based framing, you know, which I think is so important, particularly for us as Black people, where most of the, you know, this is a show about marketing and PR. Most of the marketing and PR for us, in on in the at least in the American context, in the colonization context, has been negative, yeah. and uh, that becomes internalized over time. And so I really try to use asset-based language. That doesn't deny that there are struggles and things that we need to fix or anything. And I and I say father full in the sense that even though my father, as I described, was not really present in my life, I described him as an absent presence. Mm -hmm. You know, for the first six years of my life, he and my mother were married. We lived under the same household, but he didn't engage with me. He couldn't. He was depressed. He didn't know how from his own father. And so for me, that left a, a gaping void and a hole that needed to be filled and it was filled. It was filled by these men, these father figures. Uh, first, my stepfather, then uh, even a peer in Calfani, a friend I met on the basketball court, my first black male teacher, Mr. Williams, each one of them represented by a chapter in my book. Um, and I and I came to realize later in life that I really was father full. Um, yeah, and so yeah. many of us father full, like we, we, the narrative can be, oh, I didn't have my dad or I didn't have my loved one. But no, think about what you did have. And and, and then be proactive in, in nurturing and creating more of those relationships. And so I really, as I look back and wrote the book, I really realized I was father full, not fatherless. I love that. You know, seven is also the number of completion, as well as it's the seven jewels for sure. Shout out to AFIA again. <laughs> but how did, you you, how did you land on seven um, with the book? Yeah, you know, it was, um, it was literally just going through and saying, okay, who were these Man, I always knew that they had an impact on me, right? Like, uh, and I wrote this book during the pandemic yep. at a time when so much was happening, you know, the, the health fallout, I was trying to manage that as a local elected official, the economic fallout, and then obviously the racial justice, global wide racial justice moment we had with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and so many. So I really needed to write something affirmative and in and, and, and constructing it, I said, I literally just said, okay, well, I knew these men had an influence. Let me count them. And I got to seven. The only one thing was that was kind of hanging on was whether I was going to include Calfani, who was a peer mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, I talk about him in the introduction. Um, but when I thought about the kind of the, the men, the black men who impacted me, uh, that were older than me, that had something to offer, you know, key components of mentorship, you know, and age is a component, but it's really more about someone having more experience than you and being able to impart that and give you love and wisdom and guidance. I, I got to seven and it, it just happened to work, work, work well. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, I, I love what you're contributing to. I think the general uh, narrative and, you know, definitely the book, I think, is one thing. But also, too, you do so much of this work within the community. Um, I would love yeah. for you to talk about the Black male achievement gap in public schools that, you know, you've been really, really passionate about um, acknowledging. And could you just shed a little bit of light uh, on that with our community and then also to what you're currently doing to uh, combat that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, even though achievement gap is a is, is a common vernacular, it's also, you know, I usually try to refer to it as an opportunity gap because every okay. child can every child can learn um, if given the opportunity um, and given the resources and given the belief in themselves. And and it's and teachers have a huge role to play, but resources have a huge role to play. Um, you know, one of the reasons uh, African-American students, black students uh, don't have the, the best test scores and don't do is because they don't have the best resources. Their, their, their communities are resource poor. Uh, mm -hmm. Their teachers are underpaid. Their buildings are broken down. The books are, are old and hand me down. We have a, a system of funding education in this country that is totally out of whack based on yeah. property taxes of the region. And so when you disinvest from a community and then say, we'll support those students, it's not going to happen. So, so we have uh, challenges in that. Um, but I, you know, we have models like one of the things I worked on in the Obama administration was the Harlem Children's Zone model, which we changed into promised neighborhoods. We took that model and it was was when you wrapped around a community from birth to college or career and provided intensive resources and supports. Guess what? These kids who were the poorest of the poor kids have all done well. Yeah. Um, and if it just it just shows that. It's not rocket science. You need to give kids resources, support and love and confidence. Uh, you need to support their families um, and and then people will achieve. And so part of my work, I'm chair of the education committee here in Montgomery County. We're the 14th largest school district in the country, 162,000 students, Wonderful. almost half. Yeah, almost half of those students in poverty. There's a lot to do. Um, and I've tried to do that at the federal level, uh, but also at the local level to invest those resources and supports so that all kids can learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, definitely the investment and what you mentioned is so true about books. I mean, even sometimes when I go to elementary uh, you know, schools or even middle schools and I, I'm reading and I go to their library, it's just I like they're 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 being held up by a thread. Um, and I know that you've done so much work when it comes to um, libraries. Can you talk about the efforts with libraries that you built and that amazing bill that you worked on? Yeah, so I, I love libraries, man. They were my Long Branch local library was a a huge savior and outlet for me. I used to go there after school sometimes, and you know, just be able to explore places. I didn't take trips as a kid, so it was it was just they're great. They're the only resource in our community that is free and open to everybody, mm -hmm. uh, no matter who you are. And and uh, so I've I've as chair of the education committee, I was the lead for libraries. When, this, when they shut down during the pandemic, I started a virtual story time where right. I read uh, to kids uh, for almost over a year. Uh, I thought it was going to be, you know, remember when we shut down, everyone thought it was going to be a lot shorter. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, that was one thing. Um, so I've done that. We've also made investments uh, in expanding our library services and keeping them open longer, like hours, you know, on the weekends and in the evening when parents need them and and other kids need the need those resources, uh, and you know so I and I think and I think that's might be what you're referring to. I'm not sure about which program you're referring to, but yeah, that one. I He's just, done so much work with them, so he can't even. 
<laughs> I can't even remember, but they're awesome resources. And and now they're like community hubs, right? Like people go and get jobs at libraries. It's childcare, early childcare and, and early care and education. Um, you know, kids after school to do homework. There's, you know, research projects. There's so many things libraries do. And so we need to make sure that they're well-resourced. Yeah, thank you so much. And yes, that's exactly the one that I was uh, referring to because I was just thinking to myself, I remember very early on, libraries were such a getaway for me, you know, just to be able to go in there, pick up any book that I wanted to. And now you hear so much about books being taken out of libraries and or the lack of having books that are very, very, um, you know, dynamic. So I, I appreciate that. All right, we're now going to take a little bit of a pivot. Um, I always have a game that I include through this podcast. So just bear with me. By the time that this would have gone live, we'll either be in the thick of Black Music Month and or ending Black Music Month. So if you were on an island, say, for instance, deserted with your family, and there was the discography of three Black music artists that you could take with you on that island, which three artists would you select? Oh, man, that's a tough, tough question. But... I, 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 but I have an answer. So my first concert that I ever went to when I was 10 years old and I asked my parents to take me was James Brown. Um, and, uh, you know, I love, I got you. I feel good. I used to sing that all the time as a kid. I'm an old, <laughs> I'm an old soul brother. So I've been old since I was a kid. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, James Brown. Okay. Uh, one, the other one is behind you and Marvin Gaye. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, DC's own. Uh, you know, just a, one of my favorite, favorite artists of all time, taken way too soon. Uh, and uh, I actually sang to my wife when we were on our honeymoon, we were on a cruise. I sang Sexual Healing on a cruise ship. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> so so, so, so I, I, I love Marvin Gaye, just to show you how much I love him. Yeah. And then the third would, would be uh, Sade, my Nigerian uh -huh. sister you know, who I love. And, and you, you see, there's a theme here. I'm a big soul guy. I'm a big, like, soul R&B guy, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Sade, I do. I mean, you know, who knows? It may, it may, she may or may not be my cousin. I hope not, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I hope so. Maybe you could hook it up, man. You know, she. You know. I know. Hey, hey, who knows? Who knows? Who knows, man? But uh, no, I, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I appreciate sure. that. And uh, yeah, shout out to every, all the music artists that are listening um man you are on now um you know the journey uh to 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 doing something that's really really extraordinary extraordinary and i'm sure that music is going to play a huge role uh through that uh what role do you feel like the community of baltimore uh can play and or um how can they be active now through what you're currently doing yeah well i mean you mean the election or do what do you yeah, what do the you election, mean yes yeah, so I'm running for the U.S. Senate, um, and as you mentioned, there is there has only ever been uh, nine black people in the U.S. Senate. There have been almost two thousand senators in the course of our country's history. Mm. There's been nine of them have been black. Just to put that in context, um, but none of there, there's never been one in Maryland that's been black. And like many states, when you have that low number, um, and I had the fortune, good fortune, of working for one of them in Barack Obama when he was in the Senate. Um, and, and then I work for Sherrod Brown, who's a senator from Ohio. Look, when you're running statewide, it's really about taking a, a message and a vision. And what I've what I've said uh, since I've started this campaign just a few weeks ago is that I believe and know to my core that we can have shared prosperity. We don't have to believe what I call the real big lie. Not that Donald Trump 
one didn't win the election. That's we, can, we know that's not true. It's that if you do well, I have to do worse. That's a lie. We don't have to believe that. And we can have shared prosperity where everyone does well. Um, and that's what America should be about. And I think that message, it connects to what we were talking about earlier, schools, investments in, in arts education, making sure people can have a job that pays a living wage, making sure our criminal justice system is fair you know, to everyone. Um, those are things that I think people want to hear in Baltimore. They also want to hear them uh, in Westminster or in the Eastern Shore of Maryland, you know, where Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman uh, are from, you know, they want to hear it uh, all across our state in, in Silver Spring and in Bowie and everywhere. And I think uh, that message will resonate. And I would just ask that people kind of engage with us and tell them what their hopes and aspirations are. We're at a time right now where people are really questioning whether the basic tenets of the American dream are possible for them. They don't know if our government and our policies and our elected officials can deliver that. They see all the divisiveness. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely we can do it. We've done it before, we can do it again. Uh, and and I'm trying to deliver that message across the state. Uh, and it's being received well, but we're gonna just need to work all throughout the year to make sure we take it to every resident. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, the, the work is only just beginning. Um, in saying that, whether you are a, a listener that's currently in Baltimore and or you have family friends in Baltimore, I think that sometimes when it comes to individuals such as yourself, it could seem a little bit at, out of reach, right? To where maybe there are grievances or frustrations or even like nice things that people want to say. What's the best way that people can reach, you know, you with anything that they want to add or even if they have something, you know, um, that they that they're currently facing or dealing with that's a problem with them that they that they don't feel voiceless. Yeah, I mean, I'm easy to find. If you just go to willjawando.com, W-I-L-L-J-A-W-A-N-D-O.com, or at Will Jawando on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and you can email me uh, at info at willjawando.com. Any of those ways uh, you can get to us. And, and I want you to do that. I take it very seriously. I represent one sixth of the state now. I represent 1.1 million of a 6 million residents. I, I just was dealing with a message before I got on here uh, with someone who's trying to make sure her son can graduate uh, in, a, in next week and have the credits that he needs. So that's what we're here to do. These are called public service jobs. I think people forget that sometimes. Our job is to respond to the public and help them. We are elected to to serve, uh, and I take that very seriously. And so that's easy easy to find. And uh, please reach out. I want to have this dialogue with you over the next year and beyond. Nice, absolutely, and I'm sure people will. So you all have heard it here first. Don't be shy. Reach out uh, with any uh, thing that is on your mind because, um, you know, it's important and you want your voice to certainly be heard. Um, so speaking of that, before, you know, we dived into the, the, the questions just now, I did talk about community building. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what is the best way to authentically reach a community and or even talk to a community. Um, like I said, a lot of people that listen to the show are marketers or they're individuals in PR as well as advertising. And I think that there is sometimes these world these worlds that merge between, um, you know, uh, community building, uh, not only from what you, you're currently doing as a servant leader, but also how marketers are trying to reach individuals with the message. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and there is a lot of overlap um, in those two worlds. One thing I would say is, Number one, you know, be authentic yeah. in your messaging, right? You know, like whether I'm talking to someone 
about what I believe and what I'm hoping to do and 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 what I my vision for the state. I'm doing it out of a place of deep authenticity and lived experience here in Maryland, having been here my whole life. Um, and so, you know, I think whatever you authentically are trying to say, do it authentically. Two, go to where people are. Don't expect people to go to you, come to you. And that can mean different things in the context of online marketing or, you know, targeting or geo-targeting or, or, or just physical events, right? You know, one of the things when I got elected to the council, I was like, look, in a county of a million people, 500 square miles, there's a lot going on. I, I shouldn't expect them to come to my office to tell me everything. I need to go out and go to the community events that are already happening. Those mm -hmm. rooms of 500 people that every night in communities across the country, things are happening, a scholarship dinner, a, a celebration, a quinceanera, whatever it is, and try to meet people where they are in their daily lives. Because people are busy, they're stressed, they're maxed out. Yeah. Um, and you want to go where they are. And I think that could be electronically through, you know, through digital resources, but also physically. Um, and then the final thing I would say is just speak to the needs of real people, like of working people. Like, you know, you know, like I think a lot of times messages are kind of like targeted to, to be above or um, or below and and not really address what's actually happening in people's lives right now. Um, and I think the more kind of on point with what people are talking about and dealing with, the bet the more likely people are going to be to receive it interact with it, engage with it. And that's what we try to do with all of our outreach. Just be authentic, go where people are and uh, come with a message that is actually speaking to what people are going through right now. I love that. And also too, what I love about what I've seen um, from you as well as your team is that it, it, it feels like a conversation, even though it's a message, it still feels like you're wanting people to respond, you know, in some way. So um, I appreciate you sharing those gems most, most definitely. Appreciate yeah. It. Yeah, that's important conversation like, like you're not talking at people you're talking you have like you said you're talking with people yeah you're, you're going back and forth through that back and forth there which i think is really really dynamic so you know through your uh through your book uh my seven black fathers i think that it's dynamic you talk about these black men that ultimately kind of molded you um this is a very very broad statement so um you know like please forgive me and hopefully the answer that you have but i think um roughly around 2018 2019 excuse me 2009 um cnn had came out with a documentary i believe it was called black in america um, yeah. What would you say is the state of black men in America today? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I will say it's better than people think, but we still have a lot of work to do. If there was a thesis statement, right? Um, there are so many stereotypes that have been one of the reasons I wrote the book was to uh, be a love letter to black men specifically, but I think it has applicability to any relationship, you know, because we all have mentors and loved ones that have helped us, no matter who we are, where we're from, our gender or race or, or region. But black men specifically and boys have been targeted uh, with so much uh, stereotypical, uh, divisive language, you know, uh, and this, I think, cuts at the core of that in that, no, I'm father full. These men are in communities all over the country. This is not just happening for me. Um, and the data backs it up. More than half of Black fathers live in the home, right? Mm -hmm. Most people think that's not the case. They might not be married to the uh, mother, but most marriage is on the decline in every community. But 
Black men are actually, according to its 2017 CDC study, found to be more engaged with the daily activities of their children, feeding, bathing, helping with homework, than men of other races, right? Um, these are things that are true and are known in communities. Um, but now that doesn't mean we don't have challenges. Black men are also the most likely to be incarcerated, right? One in two Black men uh, will be arrested before they're 21 under, if trends continue. One in three will spend time in jail or prison because of a an unjust and uh, um, deeply racist system of criminal justice. Uh, but so both things can be true. Uh, and we have to be able to sit with both of those things and then work to improve them. Um, you know, we know that if you have one black male teacher and you're a black student, you're uh, almost 30 percent more likely to graduate uh, from high school. If you have two black teachers, uh, that doubles again. Uh, and so there's things we can do to make sure to change some of the negative outcomes that we do have, but also recognizing there are great assets in our community. And that these men, none of these men, Barack Obama is one of the fathers. He's pretty exceptional, but everyone else is just any someone you could meet on the street. You know, it's just doing their daily job. And and I just think that's an important message to say: these men are present. We have value, and when we engage with each other, it has a superhuman power uh, to overcome some of the systemic, uh, systemically racist structures and systems that for too long have sought to hold us back. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you. Appreciate you sharing that so much. And yes, uh, but if Barack Obama is going to be the bar, I think that that's a good bar uh, to kind of <laughs> reach. So, so yeah, we'll certainly take that. Um, I don't know if you can see behind me. I know you already looked at Marvin there, but I've been reading this book by one of my good friends. His name is Dr. Marcus Collins, and it's called um, For the Culture. And basically throughout the book, what I'm realizing is all of the things that are a makeup of culture. I mean, he, he not only dives into things related to advertising and marketing, but he really talks about the parallels of uh, community building uh, in church and then also community building and like advertising. And so community building, I think, is like a central through line. But I really love that. And that's what the book is about. But with the podcast, um, if you had to give a dose of anything for the culture and or to the culture that you feel like the culture is currently lacking, what would you like to give the culture a dose of? Mm. I'm going to go with the first thing I thought of. Um, connection to Africa. Whoa. Uh, you know, Malcolm X said you can't hate the roots of we the may, tree. We may I, have we may have to put an explosion in the uh in the cut for that one because I that's uh, nobody ever went there, but I like that. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the culture for the culture, where's the culture come from? I mean, you know, Malcolm X had a had a had a saying that's so true, you can't hate the roots of the tree and not hate the tree itself. We have been taught uh, to, to uplift a system of transatlantic ch chattel slavery to hate where we've come from and to be disconnected literally, physically, emotionally from it. Um, it's for, and I talked to my African-American brothers and sisters, and I grew up you know, in both worlds. I grew up, I was born and raised in Maryland, uh, as, and I grew up as an African-American, but my father's from Nigeria and I visited the continent, right? And in that feeling when you go for the first time to the continent of Africa as a black American or a black person from anywhere in the diaspora, the connection that you feel. And I just think that uh, we need to be finding ways like some are to draw that connection out more in, 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 uh, in a deeper way, whether it's education, learning the real history. You know, that's why I loved like the woman King 
Um, and, you know, and obviously uh, Black Panther is about a fictional African country, but this movement towards like telling more positive stories about who we are and about the, you know, time period prior to 500 years ago when we were for tens of thousands of years, kings and queens and uh, and all that cultural history. Um, so I just think uh, if you look at many communities, the Jewish community has a great program, a birthright program where philanthropists will pay for young Jewish children to go to Israel. Um, there's, a, there's a similar effort emerging uh, with black children to go to the continent of Africa. I think you just, the more connection you have to your roots, the stronger you're gonna be wherever you find yourself. And I think that's such an important thing for our culture, especially right now. Yeah, beautifully said. I appreciate you bringing that up. It kind of even makes me think about, I'll never forget, you know, first starting off in this industry doing graphic design and, you know, I was doing all the things and my dad in Ghana at that time, he he's always said, you know, come come back, you know, do get in the print shop and stuff like that. And I used to, he used to be like, you know, you, you're doing all this with book bog and paper and pen for Nike. And I used to be like, ah, uh, but now I'm looking back, I'm like, maybe I should have took him up on that. But hey, he's still listening. He's listening to the podcast right now. So don't get he no does. ideas. You're still a very hard man <laughs> to work for. <laughs> You're still a very hard brother to work for. But um, I think he would love that answer. So I appreciate that. Um, so we have six months ahead. Uh, we know that we are diving into July here. What is to come uh, next for you? And um, is there any um, events, you know, for our listeners that are based in Baltimore that they may be able to attend um, and or even support? I appreciate that. And just so you know, Baltimore, Maryland is bigger than Baltimore. We love yes, Baltimore. Yes, yes, but, yes, yes, but, yes. But, but it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of different parts of Maryland. Um, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking primarily to my sister and nephew there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we'll have, we'll be all across the state, uh, you know, in the, over the next year and certainly obviously over the next six months. And, you know, you can just visit willjawando.com or follow me on social media and that'll kind of, uh, or you can sign up on my website, willjawando.com to volunteer or learn more about events. And we'll be sending out emails, letting people know where we are. You know, obviously uh, we'll be involved in 4th of July festivities, Labor Day. There'll be a ton of community events uh, over the course of the, the rest of this year. Um, and we just ask people to just sign up, get engaged. And that's the best way so that we can know what you're doing and you can know what I'm doing. Uh, obviously we uh, are gonna be fundraising and, and doing events all across the state as well. So that's that's something people can engage in as well. So we can get our message out to the most people and, and engage with the most residents. I appreciate that. You know, before you get out of here, you have mentioned so many different gems uh, that I'm sure that our listeners are going to take away. Um, and um, I look at you as somebody that is um, just contributing in such a positive light to the narrative, particularly for Black men. It's really inspirational. So I do want to say thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you're doing the same thing, brother. So the feeling I'm, is mutual. I'm trying. Mine is a little bit more ratchet here and there. But listen, we're trying to. <laughs> hey, we got to reach people with however we can, man. You know, so, you know. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's okay. But with with you working with um, and, you know, actually uh, so close to, uh, you know, Barack Obama, I would love to know what's the best advice that he ever gave you? Yeah, you know, um, there's, he's actually up there over my shoulder too. That's a picture when I was working for him in the Senate. Um, you know, I so I meet him in 2005 when I start working for him in the U.S. Senate office. Mm -hmm. At that time, I am not married. I have no kids. Um, and by the time I leave working for him, 
you know, in, in 2012, uh, you know, seven years later, I'm married and I have uh, two of my uh, four children are born, my two girls, oldest girls, and I'm just a totally different person professionally uh, and as a husband and a father. And the advice that he gave me that was most important was really two things. It was one, just how the example he set for being a, a, a father of young children, of young black girls, and a husband to Michelle, and I'm married to a Michelle as well. And just I'll watching how he, yeah, how he navigated that, uh, it was not even things that he said uh, at, at first, it was just watching him navigate it. And then secondarily, later on in our relationship, you know, I, I got to spend a lot of time with him when outside of the professional setting as well, like playing basketball, playing cards, doing more social things. And he just rarely was, uh, would impart upon me. I remember when my first daughter was born in 2010, Aaliyah, I was working in the White House for him. And he just said to me, you know, look, your wife's going through a lot right now. You really got to be extra present, uh, do extra things to be helpful, understand she knows you're in a really difficult job working crazy hours. So go the extra mile, uh, be more understanding. So he just gave me really practical advice in my role as a husband and a father, uh, which is why I've included him as one of my fathers. In, and it's really important too. I meet him when I'm in my mid twenties, right? You know, you yeah. we never having the need to be fathered and to be uh, mentored. And uh, he was an example of that for me. So that was probably the best advice he gave me. Just like, look, do go the extra mile, be really empathetic with Michelle, with your wife. Uh, she's really going through a lot right now. And that kind of practical advice coming from him really helped me double down on that and try. And I think what I did was a good job and I'm trying to do a good job. There. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. I appreciate it so much. And um, yes, you are doing an amazing job. And, you know, those gems, I'm sure will transfer on to other people. I think that there are different phases of your life and for a lot of the listeners, their career to where they're going to need that mentorship. You mentioned 25, but the mentorship that you need at 25 is different from when you're 45 or when you're 35. Right. And then, you know, even when you're 65, even though by then I hope to be on somebody's island doing absolutely <laughs> doing nothing. But I think that it's what you kind of also shared there is like, uh, mentoring from afar, which we don't think about enough, is just like the representation of having that person in front of you. So I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. There's so much content out here. Um, you know, you can get mentored through YouTube. You know, it's not yeah. it's not a it's not a replacement for personal connection, and and but it can be a a really important resource in addition uh, to to that. You know, and there's a bunch of ratchet content out there. Go go out. <laughs> Go out there and get some actual encouraging, empowering, you know, valuable content, you know, because uh, we should be spending more time doing that, too. Yeah, definitely. A mix of a mix of both will enlighten all. So that is definitely exactly. important for sure. Will, thank you so much for coming on A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I know you are extremely busy, especially during this time and this season for you. But um from me to you, as well as all the listeners, we wish you nothing but the best on this journey ahead. So, yeah. I, I appreciate you, brother. And thank you for doing what you're doing and bringing this platform uh, to the people. And uh, look forward to coming back on in the future. Yes, definitely. And for all my listeners out there, thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, stay safe, drink a ton of water, and remember that you deserve a dose of Black joy and caffeine. Until next time, I'm Adu.